Welcome to Cognation. I'm your host, Rolf Nelson. And I'm Joe Hardy. On today's episode, we're talking to Dr. Mark Solomon, uh, who's a licensed clinical psychologist, and he's going to talk to us today about a technique called street epistemology. So uh, we'll learn a little bit more about what street epistemology is all about, and what some of the purposes of it are, how it can be applied. Welcome to the show, uh, Mark Solomon. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk to two fellow psychologists about the uh, dialectic I'm practicing. Awesome. So street epistemology, maybe words that people are not necessarily familiar with. So what do we mean when we are talking about street epistemology? Yeah, that's an excellent question. An excellent question to start off with is that street epistemology is two parts of the word. Epistemology really means the study of how do you know what you know? How do people gain the knowledge that they believe that they have? And that's really in a nutshell what epistemology is, is the study of knowledge. And with the street aspect of it, all that means is epistemology for the layperson. Epistemology, you know, in use for someone who is on the street and wants to practice um, discussing how do you know what you know. And, and before we get into some of the details of that, so uh, how is it that you got into this practice or, or, or thought, found it to be a useful way of thinking? Yeah, uh, another good question. Uh, the way I fell into it, it was really around 2016, and it was around the time, it was actually shortly after the elections we had in our country, and I was feeling actually pretty down. I was feeling uh, down and worried and concerned and actually a bit fearful about uh, where our country was and where it was heading. And the way I was looking at it, and I'm curious about how you guys are, are looking at it as well, is that I saw that we were kind of in two different camps, two different silos. And we had these sets of beliefs in our country that were just vastly different from each other. And it seemed like one silo couldn't even have a discussion with the other silo because for whatever reason, maybe it was um, we were using different epistemologies to come up with our beliefs, or for whatever reason, we couldn't have that discussion. And I wanted a way to bridge that gap. I wanted to, it was kind of a, for me, it was, I wanted to think I was doing something that was helping the situation. And that's when I was, I think I was just surfing the internet and I was on YouTube and I came across uh, a gentleman named Anthony Magnabosco and another gentleman named Reed Nicewonder who were practicing a dialectic called street epistemology. And I was, I saw in action, I saw them talking to people with, with all sorts of beliefs and having them self-examine their beliefs and how they know or purport to know what they knew. And I was, I was kind of floored at how powerful that dialectic was in the examination of one's belief. And even to the point where after a conversation, a street epistemology conversation, people would maybe uh, change their confidence in their beliefs some, which in other, when other people have discussions about beliefs, uh, especially in formats like debate and things like that, that you rarely see that happen. In fact, after walking away from a debate with someone with a different belief, that that person seems to be even more entrenched in their belief than they were when they before they even had started having the conversation. So I thought maybe they were on to something, and I that's when I started my podcast to kind of explore that on my own. Yeah, and you've been doing this for a few years now, and you have a, a great collection of uh, examples of street epistemology on your podcast, and I don't think I mentioned that yet. So your podcast is called Being Reasonable. That's right. So Being Reasonable, it's just you can find it on uh, the podcast. It's, it's a podcast you can play on any platform you'd want. And also, more recently, I've been doing more YouTube videos, and I'm kind of been gravitating more towards that. Um, mostly because that's where the street epistemology community is, but also it's better to see these kind of conversations when you can actually look at the conversation, to actually have two people looking at each other, having these very difficult conversations about beliefs, which actually they aren't difficult, that conversation when you're having a street epistemology conversation, not in the sense, the same sense when you're just having a debate about it, because it's really should be a non-threatening conversation. It should be very 
pleasant. You've developed a really good rapport with the person, hopefully, and you're really on a journey with that other person to examine the belief they want to discuss. And you really try to nail or drill down to you know, the reasons they have for believing the belief or those seem to be reliable reasons for that belief. Now, your background particularly is in clinical psychology. So you you may be a little more equipped to just jump out and and uh, sort of manage these kinds of things than than your average person who might jump into it. Is there anything, is there anything that you've learned on how to, um, and like you said, I think really important to keep people with you and not not seem like a divisive thing. Is there any techniques that help in in keeping? Well, first we wouldn't say opponent because it's not. It wouldn't be like a verbal spar, yeah. I suppose. Partner. Partner, there you go. Your conversational oh, yeah. So partner. Yeah. Your conversational partner. Is there are there ways to keep your conversational partner engaged and and uh, and not defensive about some of the positions they may have? Yeah, that's excellent. Um, because you don't want defensiveness in a conversation like this, because defensiveness is the killer of these sorts of conversations, especially if you want to you know discuss uh, a, a belief where someone may you know, choose to. Um, lower or raise their confidence level on the belief by the end of the conversation. Uh, defensiveness is never helpful. What you know, I don't know how much being a psychologist has helped um, with these with these conversations, except for uh, rapport building. Uh, when you're a psychologist, a clinical psychologist, probably the first thing they teach you a day one in clinical psychology school uh, is um, basically how to develop rapport with somebody, um, how to have reflect, reflect people's statements they say to you and how to um, be non-judgmental and have those sorts of conversations, which um, after a practice with a psychologist probably does become second nature, um, but maybe not as much for other people uh, who aren't used to having those kinds of conversations. But it's really just, you're learning how to have these very, having conversations in a non-judgmental, very positive manner. I guess Rogerian, psychology would probably be the best way uh, to describe it. Yeah. And that's one of the first things that I had, I had thought of is that comparison to um, Rogerian psychology too. And I don't know if our listeners are all familiar with that. I was thinking about cognitive behavioral therapy in terms of, yes. you know, thinking about questioning your beliefs, you know, examining your beliefs. Is that true? What would the consequences be if that were true? Um, you know, that, that sort of work. Yes. That's an excellent point, Joe. Uh, a lot of uh, street epistemology is definitely aligned with cognitive behavioral therapy and how that is performed and uh, what you said about the examination of beliefs. But also uh, there's aspect of uh, street epistemology where you set up these kind of hypothetical tests where people can perform on themselves to see if, you know, reality testing of what their belief is, uh, what they believe about the universe is true or not. And, uh, and that's very also very much aligned with cognitive behavioral therapy as well. True. Yeah, cool. I, I wonder if it would be make sense to try to go into a little uh, demonstration of this in the in the context of, of uh, this group. Maybe one, you know, you could uh, work with one of us to do this. I, I was to. talking with, with Rolf earlier yesterday and I was thinking about myself. I'm like, I don't know. I don't have a lot of like deeply held beliefs in that sense. I mean, I get, and I was thinking about that from an epistemological standpoint, I guess. I think I'm, a pragmatist maybe, uh, in terms of my epistemology. Um, so basically meaning that, you know, I, I think of knowledge in terms of its power and utility rather than, you know, I don't, I don't really have, I'm not a skeptic in the sense that I don't, I, I think that this is possible to know things, but uh, <clears throat> I don't, I don't have like super deeply held beliefs that I would, you know, uh, die on the hill on that many, I guess I, that maybe I'm not aware of them. I'm sure I do have them, I guess maybe, maybe I'm not aware of them. I think you're telling me that you have beliefs, but um, provided with uh, the kind of information that you would require to change your beliefs, you'd be willing to change your beliefs. I think I'm saying something a little bit stronger, actually, which is that I actually don't, I sort of constitutionally, but then I think also intellectually, actively don't hold beliefs. There I have, I update my prior, I have a, a set of, well, I have a set of prior weights on yeah. concepts, right? And then those weightings are updated so, somewhat continuously. And, um, if I, if, and if I were to ask you, when you say belie you don't have beliefs, like what, in your mind, what is the definition of a belief then for you? 
would you say? Yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I guess in terms of that, I, I, what I'm really thinking is along the lines of someone when someone says they believe in God. Um, you know, I don't believe in God or not believe in God. Uh, I I believe that you know, the, for example, the the fact that there are many different types of religions and some of them are mutually exclusive is good evidence that they can't all be true. And then therefore that there are, you know, is probably at most, you know, one true belief in that regards. And then it's very unlikely that any one of the existing religions captures that belief correctly. Interesting. Yeah. I see your point. And Rolf, are you see it the same way? Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I, I, I do tend to think like Joe in that way that I don't feel like I have as many strong beliefs that I would die on the hill for. And I'm sure I do have strongly held beliefs that are maybe not entirely supported by the evidence. It's, it's hard to sometimes, um, yeah, maybe you know, they're, maybe they're latent, right? They're yeah. underlying certain uh, decisions assumptions that, we make, that we, you kind of make. Yeah. It's part of being human, isn't it? It's just, mm-hmm. uh, we have these sets of beliefs. We don't we're kind of like software operating in our brain and we don't even know, we don't even mm-hmm. realize that there, we have these assumptions um, and, uh, and how we go about our lives sometimes trying to confirm these assumptions without even knowing it, you know, how we can't it's even so difficult to stand back from them. And, uh, you know, if we want to do a mock street, uh, street epistemology conversation, sometimes what I would do would be like, is the earth round or flat? Because, there's a kind of a dichotomous belief there, either it's round or it's flat, and it just makes it very easy to, to discuss as opposed to something that's more um, maybe abstract, like a deity. So sometimes those are good, way, good conversations to have um, just to showcase what a street epistemology conversation looks like. If we were sort of getting to the core of my beliefs and say I was a round earther, say I I didn't Mm -hmm. believe in in flat earth theory and I still needed to confront this a bit. So how would something like that go about? Okay. So if you are a, so this is kind of interesting about this technique of of street epistemology. Anybody can use it. There's no, there's no, nobody owns it. You can be a flat earther and use this technique to discuss, to, to talk to someone who believes in round earth and mm-hmm. uh, or you could be a round earther and use this technique who's with somebody who believes in a flat earth. Anybody can use the technique, and because it's if it's it should be um, not about the person; it's about the 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 belief and how we drill down to the epistemology behind the belief. And so, if you were a round earther, and I'm okay, so I'll <laughs> state that right now. So I am a round earther, and and that's the belief I'm. Yeah, I'm there you go. I, I I guess I do have some beliefs, right? Like because I yeah, I also agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, and then yeah, and so if you're a round earther, and you know after we established rapport, and you know we're all seem to be uh, jiving well together, and sometimes I'll need to get a definition um, about uh, you know first of all I, under, I need to understand the claim, your belief about what you mean by round earth, but I think we can pass that. I think I know what you mean by the claim. And also I'd want to know your definitions. If we need to kind of iron out any of your definitions of things I don't understand or things that people might have different definitions about, but this is pretty straightforward. So then once we get past that, then I'd want to ask you, what is the main reason or reasons? What is the primary reason why you believe the belief that the earth is round? And even, I mean, that's a good thing for, I'm, it's a, that feels like an instructive thing to just think about, well, duh, it's so obvious, you know, everybody knows that, but okay. Is that where the source of your belief is coming from? It's yeah, well, what, Rolf, what nice is it? To, like, what, why do you, why do you believe it? Yeah. I mean, right, I would say I'd have to think about it for a you second. You can believe the earth to... is round for many different reasons. You can believe the earth is round because your parents believe it and they told you that. Well, that's a very different reason from someone else who has, I mean, it could have a very different reason why someone else believes the belief. Yeah, I mean, I certainly I'm thinking about it for myself. I I definitely felt like as I examined that really the reason I believe it is I was taught that in school. I mean, fundamentally, like when I was a child, I was taught that the earth was round. And that's that's I mean, I never actively questioned it beyond that. It's interesting that you're thinking about it like, wait, how do I why do I believe that? We just Mm -hmm. sometimes we assume the belief we assume it. And Rolf, if you, did you say why you believe the Earth is round? What would you say? You know, from 
I've seen. It seems as though I've seen pictures of a round Earth. Um, it it appears as though a round Earth is. is well, you've seen um, you've seen pictures that are. That I've are, seen a globe. They're circles, right? You know. I've seen pictures that are circles. I've seen globes. That's not the same thing as round. I've traveled. What. I assume, I mean, I've been in a plane, so I don't see everything. So, you know, this could be consistent with a flat earth too, but I've traveled to places where it seems as though I've gone around the globe. Um, Perfect. You know, I, you can, you know, I guess I've tested, you know, looking out at the ocean, you can see the, the sails come up from a boat. Of all those reasons, and there seem to be really, now you're coming up with a series of reasons, uh, like you've seen pictures, you've seen the horizon, you've um, been taught it in school. Of all those reasons, um, and this might be difficult for you to answer, if you were to choose one of those reasons that maybe are the primary reason how you know what you know, um, what would you say, do you think? I think, to be honest, on this one, it's almost an appeal to authority. It's almost an appeal to... Um, sort of a general consensus. Um, okay. Not something that I've had time to sort of empirically test myself, but this something is really that interesting. It seems so consistent with so many other other beliefs that, or, or or so many other facts that it that it that it seems to accommodate that. This is great. This is this is wonderful. This is really going to uh, show how street epistemology works. And uh, before I get into that. I want you know, something you said, I don't want to get too far away from is that you said, you know, I hadn't really thought about it, but it seems so obvious to me. Or you said something along those lines. And I bet you could imagine me having a conversation with someone who has a belief, belief let's say in a particular deity, and they say the same thing mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I don't know, it just seems so obvious to me without mm -hmm. having to explore their epistemology. And it's interesting that you said that because oftentimes people say, well, it's just so obvious without thinking, well, wait, how do I, how do I know what I know? Mm -hmm. And so uh, with you, you said that there was an, a, maybe a, an appeal to authority was maybe the primary way you know what you know. And so maybe I would ask you, um, there's many ways you can go here, but um, sometimes you can use a thought experiment. For example, let's say Tony is sitting next to you and Tony let's say, believes that the earth is flat. He really has a high confidence that it's flat. And we haven't talked about confidence levels yet, but let's just say he has a high confidence level that it's flat, and you have a high confidence level that the earth is round. And when I ask Tony, how does he believe the earth is flat? He says, well, he appeals to authority. He, he says that, well, an authoritative figure told him that, and so I would want to know, I would ask you, do you think how Tony has come to his belief, is that a reliable way to know that his belief that the earth is flat is true? And I would say, no, I don't, I, I don't think an appeal to authority is, is uh, something that would justify that belief. So now we're, we're, we're starting our, this is, we're starting treatment mm -hmm. epistemology. We're talking about how people know what they know, the reasons behind what they believe, and are those reliable reasons to have that belief. And one thing we didn't really discuss, but we're discussing now, are these things called confidence levels, is that people can hold beliefs very confidently, like I, usually, I like to use a Likert scale, like seven out of seven, or people uh, might hold on to a belief not very tightly at all. Uh, oftentimes when I do talk to people who are flat earthers or round earthers, they're usually seven out of seven. Um, but, but people can be all a, range, a whole different range about that. And that can also steer the conversation about um, the kinds of conversations we have as well. So back to the, back to the conversation. Um, so, so then, you know, I would want to know, so it seems like appeal authority might not be the best way for Tony to know what he knows that the earth is flat, what do you, I'm wondering what would be maybe the second best way Tony could know what he knows. Like what would be another way um, if we were to talk, having a conversation with Tony, how he could know what he knows. 
So sure, then we could, then uh, I guess I would say maybe the best way for Tony to know is to uh, integrate empirical facts into this, to, um, you know, uh, take all of the information that we have, um, you know, what we know about astronomy, what we know about, um, you know, all of these other things, and how does how does one theory or the other fit with the facts best? Yeah. So now you're talking about a very different a different way of knowing. Is that uh, I think you're talking about um, science or the mm -hmm. science you know the science that seems to be behind be behind that the Earth is round or the science as you've interpreted it. And so, and you could talk to me about um, you know different aspects of science, and then maybe I would ask you questions like. Um, well, if all of a sudden we were to talk to astrophysicists, I don't know who, what branch of science we would be talking to, but they would say, um, you know, uh, we've looked at this more and we realize that um, we're not quite as certain as we were that the Earth is uh, round. Um, would you then reduce your confidence in the belief that the Earth is round or would you think you still have your confidence that the belief is round at the same level. Yeah, I think for me, it would, it would matter, you know, like what the reasons for that were, you know, like what was the evidence that was being brought to bear yeah. for that change. Exactly. And so it's really interesting because if, you, if I'm talking to somebody and let's say the reason why they believed something was based on this specific science and let's say the science were to change yet they would still have the belief. It sounds like we haven't discovered the primary reason for the belief because if the reasons were to change and they were to still have the belief, what does that say about the reasons? Mm -hmm. That's good. Okay, so, um, okay, uh, let me integrate that for a second. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a different way to think about this. It, it's really interesting, yeah. And then when I'm appealing to sort of my intuition about this too, and I think, why do I, why do I really think the earth is round and not flat? Um, part of it is a flat earth seems like an insufficient explanation because there's no, what's under it, you know, where does it exist? You know, what's it, what is it a part of it? It doesn't, it's harder to integrate, you know, the rest of the universe with that sort of flat earth. What, you know, what, what is on the underside of, of a flat earth if it's flat? <laughs> Um, it just, it, it feels like it, it fits a larger system in a way. So is there a, are you saying, I'm just trying to understand your epistemology at this point. Yeah. Are you, are you saying that you could use the word feel? Are you yes. Basically... Yes. Okay. It, so so it... in, in some sense, it's a, it's a sort of maybe a pattern recognition. So it's not a, it's not a, it's not a deductive reason. It's a, um, it's an inductive reason for believing something. Yeah. So it doesn't, it's not jiving with a, with everything you know about how the world works. Or maybe it would change, it would, it would seemingly change so many other different facts that it would, it would, right, that it would be inconsistent with a larger worldview. If, if the world was, I'm not saying this is the case, but if the world happened to be flat, would you be okay with it? would you want to know it? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. I would want, I would want to know that the world is flat. If it were, would it change you? It would, I think. Um, I think for me, it would change a lot of things. Cause I'd be like, well, all of this science, you know, and well, and the, these globes that we have and these geodesic, calculations that we use to like figure out how long it's going to take to get somewhere in a plane, for example, or in a boat, I, that yeah. would be, I would be like, wow, someone is playing a long game there. It's a long con. <laughs> well, it would, it would, if I, if it came out, let's say the truth is that the world is flat, it would change me quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I mean, it would have implications on probably everything I know I could see everything I think I know. I think it would put me in kind of could put me in a bit of a tailspin. I don't think it would not in a sense that would crush me, but I would just have to re-examine everything I thought I knew about the world. And so when we're having these conversations, we're not just having 
conversations about whether you believe the earth is flat or round, we're having some pretty serious conversations, it turns out, because it's not often not just about the belief. We're talking about how do I, maybe how I go about knowing things isn't, I've been doing this all wrong and I should be going about knowing things a different way. And, um, and so that's why we, in street epistemology conversations, we're driving, drilling down to, to the, to the reasons behind the belief, how someone goes about forming beliefs. Because once we can talk about that sort of stuff, oftentimes we can realize that the belief itself really isn't that important important because if the manner you go about forming beliefs doesn't seem to be a really reliable manner about forming beliefs in general, typically that person's going to start forming all sorts of beliefs that probably aren't aligned with what is objectively true in the world. And so you may talk about one belief or this belief, but we're really not getting to some of the bigger issues here that need to be discussed. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So when you're thinking about having these conversations, come how do these conversations come about? Like, are you looking to have these conversations with certain particular types of people or people coming to you to like examine beliefs? How does that, how does that come about? Yeah. So I have these all different ways. I mean, you know, I think most people who have street epistemology conversations are doing them privately with friends and family and that sort of thing. But I'm producing content. I'm, I'm having these conversations to show people what they're like, like to show people how to do them, what a proper, hopefully, and, and I, what a proper street epistemology conversation looks like, and also what ones that fall apart look like as well. I want to show those too. And, um, and so I want, um, I want people to, to see all sorts of beliefs. So on my podcast or YouTube channel, I've talked with people with every single belief under the sun, and I will talk to anybody with any belief, really. It doesn't matter to me because Honestly, when I'm talking about the belief, I don't really start, you have some of these conversations, you start, you don't think about the belief anymore. You just really try to, okay, I got the belief, you jettison the belief, and then just start talking about epistemology and, and that sort of thing. Um, so sometimes I'll set up, I live in a small town, and sometimes I'll just set up a little booth, I'll probably look, uh, look a little bit crazy, uh, sitting there and just come talk to me about your belief, and I just ask people about their beliefs. Or sometimes I'll invite people on my show who uh, have strong beliefs in some, this or that. Um, there's just many ways you can have this conversation, these kind of conversations. And I just, I really try to have them many different ways um, just so I can show people what they're like. I think it's useful. And I'm just still thinking about, you know, imagining uh, what the world would be like if it were a flat earth too. I think, uh, but giving uh, opportunity to sort of ponder what the world would be like if it were under these different sorts of scenarios. I think it's really useful. And it's, it's, it's sort of in me that uh, sort of promotes a little thing. Well, how, you know, okay, yeah, if, if, that's, that's great. Cause you're able to see it from the other side. And when I have these conversations, I really, it's, I really try to be, I really try to same team these conversations. I really kind of go on a journey and I'm like this. And I even will tell people I'm having conversations. If you're, if what you're saying is true, legit, true, objectively real and true, I want to know it. I want to believe it. I'd rather not believe something that's false. So help me go through your process. How do you know what you know? Take me on this journey. And so then I can go with you. We can examine the reliability of the way you know what you know. And then maybe we can discover some things together. And it's very not, it's, it's so much less threatening than talking about often about the belief itself, because when we're talking mm -hmm. about epistemology, we're just talking about how people tend to know what they know, as opposed to um, beliefs that people seem to hold very tightly, like very specific mm -hmm. beliefs. Right. I'm interest, interested in how this intersects with faith, the concept of faith, because I guess as I'm thinking about the concept of faith, uh, where I, mm -hmm. why I went down that road in my mind was thinking about, you know, are there going to be people who just are not interested in examining how they know what they know, right? They just don't find that to be a useful or thoughtful, you know, useful or effective method. This is great. Oftentimes, maybe this is some of the, maybe this is some of the examples of where it didn't work. I don't know. Yeah. Well, oftentimes I'm talking with people who have a, maybe a belief in a specific deity and I'm trying to drill down to their epistemology. Maybe at some point in the conversation, they'll bring up faith. And oftentimes when people bring up the word faith, uh, very quickly, I need to find out what they mean by the word faith. And I'll ask probably you, Joe, what 
when I, when you say the word faith, what does that word mean to you? I think, it, yeah, what I was thinking of in this context was specifically, you know, a belief that you hold almost in, you know, contradistinction to evidence to the contrary, mm-hmm. you know, and that you, you somehow, you, you, you hold more, it's more powerful or, or more, uh, has more weight because there's tons of evidence against it. And that, that faith is, is kind of a, an act of, you know, uh, a specific positive act that you do as a person, you know, in service of a particular belief. That's, that's, that's a very common definition of belief that I get. And sometimes when uh, I, I get that definition, let's say I'm talking with somebody who has a strong belief in a, in a God and, and they'll say, you know, we'll drill down and eventually maybe we'll get to uh, the epistemology is faith. And with this definition is believing in something without evidence that that thing is true. Um, and then maybe my next question is, is that how I'll start asking questions about that. How do we know things that we don't have evidence for? And that usually leads us down some very interesting paths. Um, and, uh, and, People can answer it very different ways, but they're really drilling down to, well, how do I know things that I don't know, you know? And, and so, um, and we usually are waiting for these moments of aporia where, where I'm talking with someone and I ask a question like that. And all of a sudden there is, um, and this happens in psychotherapy too, when you someone kind of reaches an aha, aha moment where they just stop talking and you can just see the wheels turning and they're just thinking. And if you're, whether you're a good therapist or a good street epistemologist, what you do at that point is say nothing, just let them think and just let them take it in. And, um, and that's where I find that the meaningful change happens when they're just all of a sudden there's in a moment of self-reflection of like, wait, that didn't make sense to myself. And and I want them to have this inner dialogue with themselves. Like, how do I know this? Like, wait, did I say that? Like, why that didn't make sense. And that's where I I'm, I'm want that's some where I think the change happens. Yeah, I guess it's interesting because you know Rolf also mentioned something earlier that I that I was uh, that struck me you know just as interesting, which was he was saying he felt like something was true. There's yeah. this phenomenological experience. Of- oh, and I hated hearing myself say that too. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because when I talk to people, they have that's like, how do you know it's true? Like, I, I feel it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But and there's something to it, right? I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of a little bit deeper than, you know, it's easy to you know eschew and say, oh well, you know, that's just a feeling. You, there's no good reason behind that. But at the same time, I think it it is truly a lot of, on a day to day basis, how we act on beliefs is oh, yeah. something that feels right, you know, and that feeling it's is a shortcut. Not nothing. Yeah, it's not a shortcut, but it's also it's not nothing. It's it's based on you know it's a phenomenological experience of you know the accumulation of data that has happened over time. Uh, and now you know that data may yeah. be unreliable for a variety of reasons, but it's not. It's also not nothing. No, I didn't mean to say that. I was definitely don't mean to say it was nothing, because beliefs are very powerful, and beliefs. Some, I mean, I, I'm sorry, uh, feelings can be a very powerful way to know something and depending on what that thing is um it could be a very reliable way of knowing whether something is true um i have a i have a very strong belief that my favorite ice cream is vanilla and i have very (laughs) strong feeling about it i mean i just have this very strong feeling that my that my favorite ice cream is vanilla and so it seems like that's a pretty that's a reliable way (laughs) to know that my my favorite ice cream is vanilla, let's say. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, absolutely. And so that, I mean, that kind of gets me to this, this thought about, you know, uh, do you have an underlying epistemology that supports your, your work or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like a a flavor of epistemology that you, that you go for. Yeah. We're going, so we're going meta on this. So, so yeah, yeah, so this is, it's a, um, it's, you know, to have these kind of conversations, I have to have some kind of framework I'm working at, right? Um, and I, I try to, when I'm having these talks with other people, I really try to use other people's framework and try to 
use their the way they see the world and 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 talk to have those discussions within that framework but it's that's you know easier said than done and also there's certain things that there's just certain premises that have i have to accept for these conversations to work one is that they're you know for factual claims that there is some sort of objective truth about it I might not know it. My conversational partner might not know it. We might not have any handle on that whatsoever, but it's out there somewhere. And and also that the idea of which goes along with this is that whatever is objectively true in the world, that you and I share this world, that I can't have my own truth and that be true, and you have your truth and that be true, especially if those truths are, you know, opposing. So uh, let me ask another question too. And this comes from, uh, there was a, uh, there's a series of books that comes out that sort of asks uh, questions of a whole bunch of scientists that um, um, part of the, the edge is the, let's see, what's his name? John Brockman comes out with these books. And there was one called, um, what do you know is true, but cannot prove? So asking just a whole bunch of smart people, what thing about the world could you not, you know, you couldn't defend to the core, but something that you nevertheless believe is is true. And maybe for you, this might be that, um, you know, street epistemology is, uh, you know, it, it it's... Um, I see. Tending towards um, uh, uncovering truth or... or um, something like this is there is there any way that you could i mean and i think it's not a trivial question too i mean you can you can certainly believe something which is you don't have that uh empirical support for it but there's something there's something still even so uh, maybe it's and maybe it's just that it's an unprovable assertion um but it does elicit all kinds of interesting answers from from people um and not just um sort of irrational ideas too yeah, we well, bring up a great point. I mean, you know, I'm going to make a, an assumption here that the three of us probably go about our epistemologies with these sorts of things may be fairly aligned in its assumption, but that I, um, with these kind of dialectics and, you know, whether this, kind of, this way of having conversation works, um, I would want to know the science behind it. And that's what we're doing now. We're actually developing studies uh, and we're in in conversation with uh, researchers to try to tease out the special sauce of why a street epistemology conversation we think, and this is, you know, this is uh, a number of us having, you know, thousands of public conversations that are being published, why they seem to be helpful and more helpful than much more helpful than other methods that we could compare it to like debating and things like that. Why they seem, what is it about a street epistemology conversation that seems to put a rock in somebody's shoe that we think can cause meaningful change over time. And so we're right now running those or in the process of starting those, actually even designing those studies to do that. And, um, and then we were kind of maybe in a better footing to, to to have that you know back up the dialectic if that's how research turns out yeah i guess that's an interesting angle there you mentioned this a couple times about debate as being a particularly bad uh way to to have someone change their mind i guess someone's going to come away from a debate believing more strongly the thing that they argued for most of the yeah i mean there's you know something called the backfire effect I know there's there's um, there's some controversy whether that's a thing, but it's um, it's just the idea that you know when you have these sort of intense conversations with somebody who's opposing belief in yours that you walk away, it just the exact opposite of what you want to happen happens that they're more entrenched in their belief and you're more maybe more entrenched in your belief and nothing good happens with that, and um, and there's a there's some reasons we think about why that may be at least from my perspective of really these other kinds of conversations is that oftentimes when we're having um, debates, we're not drilling down to the epistemology of the other person. 
And so we're not talking, we're never on the same page. So if I'm like trying to support what I believe in facts and the reason why my conversational partner, they didn't arrive to their belief based on facts, well, I can give them any fact in the world. They're not going to change their belief because that's not how they arrived to the belief in the first place. They never reasoned, used reason in that sense or facts to get there. And so I really would behoove me to know how they got there and then talk about whatever it is, they, how they got there. Was it by feeling or was it by uh, their neighbor believes it or their community believes it or they're told by their pastor or whoever? Um, I need to really drill down to the primary reason why they believe the belief and then discuss the reliability of those reasons. Are those reasons good reasons to hold a belief like this? And they may very well be. They could be. And if they are, I'm willing to change my belief. I'm willing to, you know, uh, raise or lower my confidence on the belief they have. Um, but we're, I'm not going to know this until we have these kinds of conversations about that. Yeah, I guess, you know, I guess the way the argument goes for debate is, you know, when you're in a debate, you're, you're actively seeking out supporting information for your position. So you're reinforcing your confirmation bias. And uh, what you're suggesting with street epistemology is, is something very different. You're not actively seeking out uh, support for your um, It's almost the position, opposite of a debate. Yeah, you're, you're, yeah, you're yeah. looking at why, what about the things that I believe, what, what about the, the evidence or support for my belief is true or not true? Help me, help me believe your belief. I, mm -hmm. I, I, I like that. I like that way of thinking of it. Yeah, help me yeah. believe your belief. So help me I can believe, under, yeah. I can state it in a, in a way that you would, you would accept. Right. I just, yeah. you know, walk me through it. How, how did you get there? I, I want to take me through it. I want to know how you went about believing the belief. And again, whatever that belief is, it kind of doesn't matter to me. You know, I kind of say that to myself, but I want to know the method. How do you go about forming the belief in this case? And this is just a reliable way to know what you know. And we don't, we don't seem to be having too many of those kinds of conversations. And I would just, you know, my goal here is that many more people at least, and I know these, what we're talking about here can seem kind of abstract. And I really would hope people just, if not just my channel, anybody's channel, there's a lot of people who practice what I practice. There's a number of people who do it. And just if you look up the term street epistemology and just watch these conversations in action and you, you can see how, wow, there's a different way to have these talks. There's a different way. And maybe the next time when you find yourself at Thanksgiving with your, hmm. with your uncle Peter who, or whoever, and they start talking about their, you know, uncle Peter and his crazy belief about this or that, then you can all of a sudden have a much more meaningful exchange with your uncle Peter because you're no longer debating him. You're, you're, you might be a bit confusing to him at first because you're just doing things in a completely different way. Yeah. I think, you know, it seems to me that one of the places where this might break down is when people are stating beliefs that are not on the level. And I, it feels to me that there's a, a lot mm -hmm. of the dis issues. Right, so what do you mean by having. that? Well, you know, th there's, there's a good faith argument that like, I believe mm -hmm. in this thing and, you know, that may not be well founded in terms of the evidence, but I think, especially in terms of the political arena, I get the mm -hmm. sense a lot of times that people are making arguments that allow them to be viewed as being a part of the team, you know, a member of the team and uh, yeah. motivated reasoning that supports certain positions that, you know, basically helps their team move forward in terms of popularity or, you know, gaining power or so on and so forth. So it feels like this might be problematic in that context because people don't really actually believe or they're not a actively uh inquiring about their belief is excellent joe and then sometimes when i think that's happening like if someone has a belief that's more of an expression of their identity like hey i'm i'm by expressing this belief i'm expressing i'm part of this in group and we all believe the same thing and we are you know we have these good feel good feels about ourselves because i'm you know because we all hold this belief regardless of wh whether it's true I drill down to that. I ask questions about um, that sort of question. Like if you were to not have this belief, just, you know, um, just for uh, hypothetical here, 
would this change your life? I mean, would you have, would you still have the same friends? Would you still hang out in the same group? I mean, would you have to move out of your neighborhood, out of your town? And sometimes when people think about it, like, well, kind of, I mean, because, you know, a lot of times we choose to live nowadays in neighborhoods with people who are like-minded with us, you know? And so it's quite possible that they're, if they change the belief on this or that, they're, that would say a lot more. And so we, we actually talk about that. And I do ask the question whether if this belief were true, would you want to know it? And after a street epistemology conversation, sometimes people, or during a street epistemology conversation, sometimes people may say, you know, I'd rather not know it because there's so many positive benefits from this belief that me knowing it would hurt me. I would be uh, not a, you know, would feel good about myself. I could be depressed or, you know, if it's maybe it's a religious belief, like I, maybe I wouldn't go see my, I would think I wouldn't go see my dead father after I die and like, okay, well, I mean, that's a powerful and that's a, it's a, it seems to be a legitimate reason to hold a belief other than whether the belief is true. There's other reasons. And so, and then, so I might stop the conversation there, but, um, so I just think there's an interesting aspect of it. So one question that I bet I'm sure you must get asked a lot, um, is, what's changed your mind or what's, what's updated your beliefs in these conversations? Have you, have you, I mean, because it's, you know, I, and and it's not all about convincing, it's about going through an argument, but is there, is there any time in which you have found yourself a little bit confronted and needed to update your beliefs on this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that would be a huge benefit too, right? Is, is getting the opportunity to, to examine some of those things. Right. I think you're right. I think, um, I think, you know, uh, I, there's, I've got, I have a series of conversations where I went out and talked to, uh, anti-vaxxers at a vaccination, vaccination rally, anti-vaccination rally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I just, I thought that that was interesting. And I kind of, before I, I had my pretty, I think I was a, a fairly strong vaccination supporter and I probably still am, but I, but I think I uh, walked into that, into those conversations and I just heard just a multitude of epistemologies. And it was so interesting because some, I didn't, I'm trying to reason through in my own head that, you know, well, that didn't really resonate, but some like, Oh, well, I can, I can see that make, I mean, that I get that, that makes a, that resonates with me or how I know would want to know things. I would want to know this or that. And so it kind of makes me kind of see more of the um, finer points of beliefs in that. Um, but also that, you know, it's very difficult to change our beliefs. And I've noticed that about myself. But after doing this dialectic, I tell myself that if I hold, if I'm holding a belief that's not true, I really do want to know it. I tell myself that, but in practice, it's really hard to do that because, and I try to, you know, self-examine why do I hold this belief or that belief? And it's really, it's, it's challenging. Um, and it's easier. And sometimes I'll have other, I have friends who practice street epistemology and I'll have them perform the dialectic on me about maybe a belief that I have. And we'll do that to each other because it's easier to have someone else do that to you than for you to do it to yourself. And, you know, because I'm in the belief, like it's hard for me to step out of it. Yeah. And it's easier to have someone else do it to me. And I, and I just, I just, that's other, just the sort of power of conversation and the power of being able to sit down and do this. So if, if you, I guess, what would be your hopes for this in terms of having an impact on the world? Like, do you, do you want more people to learn the technique and have more of these conversations? Like, and what would that, what do you think that would do if, if people did that? Yeah, I just, oh man, I just, I just want to, um, it's probably pie in the sky. I don't know, but I just, I want to raise the sanity water yeah. line here. You know, um, you know, if, if half of our country is, um, has this really intense beliefs that, you know, vaccines don't work and they'll kill you. 
And then the other half of the country believed that we all must take vaccines because, you know, they're going to save our life if we have this killer virus, you know, coming down in the next few years. Um, I would imagine there's a truth out there somewhere about that. And I would like to be able to live with and have a way to have those kinds of meaningful conversations where we can have, we can actually have these discussions and flesh out how we know what we know and without, you know, the name calling and uh, without the tribalism. And so we can actually get to maybe what's true and real and maybe just have a more, just more human flourishing and just less suffering really. Well, I couldn't, I, I think that's well said, and I couldn't agree with that statement more. I think that sounds, um, sounds like a good sell. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, so maybe that's a good place to wrap there. And I guess I would ask one last question, which is, what are you really excited about going forward with this stuff? Y- yeah, so um, it's really interesting uh, what how people are, are taking this dial- dialectic um, there is uh, a gentleman named uh, David over at Sound Epistemology. I check out his YouTube channel as well. And this really, he, the way he does street epistemology really showcases um, how when we talk about the belief itself, how largely unimportant that can be. The way he does street epistemology conversations is he'll have someone with possibly an intense belief sit down and talk about it, someone he doesn't know. And he'll basically tell them, don't tell me what the belief is. I don't want to know it. I just want to know the main reason why you believe it. And then they start there. And they even they never even discuss the belief. They just, you know, the person who has the belief obviously knows what they're talking about, but David never knows. And then I've tried doing that, and other people have tried doing that as well. And it just showcases how, when we're talking about beliefs, how we really might be talking about the wrong very cool. Well, yeah. Thank you very much, Mark, for being on the show. Really enjoyed the conversation. And I think, uh, yeah, look forward to, to further conversations. And again, the, uh, the po- uh, your podcast is uh, Being Reasonable, can be found on uh, any podcast venues. Uh, and thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, guys. I really do appreciate it.